The sun was rising over the city of Ephesus as the people went about their daily business. Gaius was a simple merchant on his way to deliver a shipment of goods to a client in the east. He had no desire to be caught up in the political intrigue that seemed to be tearing the Roman Empire apart at the seams. But fate had other plans for him. As he walked through the streets, he noticed that something was different. There was a tension in the air that he couldn't quite put his finger on. He saw groups of people gathered in corners, whispering to each other and casting furtive glances in his direction. He quickened his pace, feeling a sense of unease growing in the pit of his stomach. As he turned the corner, he saw them. A mob of angry, shouting men and women, brandishing weapons and torches. He froze in fear as the mob stormed past him, their eyes wild with hatred and their weapons raised. He could hear the screams and cries of the neighbors as they were dragged from their homes and beaten. And he knew that there was nothing he could do to stop it. The Asiatic Vespers had come without warning. The rebels were surging through the streets and slaughtering any Roman they could find. Gaius had barely managed to escape with his life, fleeing to the home of a kind-hearted native who had taken him in and promised to keep him safe. Gaius sat huddled in the corner of the room, his arms wrapped tightly around his knees as he tried to block out the sounds of violence and death that filled the air. As he sat trembling in the darkness, Gaius couldn't help but wonder how it had all come to this. The Romans had been the masters of the world for centuries, their armies feared by all who opposed them. And yet, here he was, reduced to hiding like a rat in the walls, praying for deliverance that may never come. Mithridates sat in his chambers in his palace at Pontus in northern Anatolia, staring out at the darkening sky as he planned his revenge. For too long, the Romans had treated him like their subject, ignoring and mocking his position as a ruler. But Mithridates was not one to be trifled with. He saw himself as the leader of his people and of his kingdom, and he would not stand by and watch as they were oppressed any longer. He decided that he had to act quickly and decisively if he was to have any hope of success. And so, he began to make his plans. He sent word to his most trusted lieutenants, ordering them to gather his followers and prepare for the attack. And as the moon rose high in the sky, he knew that the time had come to strike. With a fierce cry, his acolytes took to the streets their swords and torches at the ready. And as the Romans slept, unsuspecting, they descended upon them like a plague, slaughtering them in their beds and in the streets. The screams of the dying echoed through the city as they moved from house to house, leaving no stone unturned in our quest for vengeance. And when it was all over, the streets were slick with the blood of his enemies and the cities of Anatolia were his now. The Asiatic Vespers had begun, and he knew that the Romans would never forget the name of Mithridates of Pontus.
It was a warm summer evening in the bustling city of Rome, and the streets were filled with the sounds of laughter and chatter. However, in the household of Marcus Flavius, a high-ranking official in the Roman government, there was a sense of unease and dread. Marcus had received word earlier that day of a massacre that had taken place in the Roman province of Asia. The news had been slow to reach Rome, but the details were already beginning to circulate among the city's elite that a group of Roman citizens, mostly merchants and traders, had been brutally killed by a mob of locals in the city of Ephesus. As Marcus sat in his study, deep in thought, his wife entered the room. What is it, my love? she asked, sensing his distress. I have received word of a terrible event in Asia, Marcus replied, his voice heavy with sorrow. A group of our fellow citizens have been murdered, and by the hand of our supposed allies, no less. His wife's face turned pale. What will be done about this? I do not know yet, replied Marcus, but I fear that this is not an isolated incident, and that there may be more to come. As the days passed, it became clear that Marcus's fears were well-founded. Reports of violence against Romans in other cities in Asia began to pour in, and it soon became clear that the massacre in Ephesus was only the beginning of a wider rebellion against Roman rule. The city of Rome was in shock. People were questioning how such a thing could happen and why. Rumors began to spread that the massacre was a punishment by the gods for the Romans' arrogance and greed. Marcus and other government officials were called to a meeting at the Senate to discuss how to respond to the situation. The number of men, women, and children killed in the massacre is estimated to be between 80,000 and 150,000. Slaves who participated in killing their Roman masters or who spoke languages other than Latin were spared. While the massacre was successful in the short term, it did not completely rid Anatolia of Roman people. He planned to rid the region of the Romans with a single decisive action. He convinced his allies to execute all Roman citizens and Italian people living in Asia Minor on the same day in several major towns and cities across Anatolia, including Ephesus, Pergamon, Adramitian, Conus, Trollis, Nyssa, and the island of Chios. The massacre was carefully planned and coordinated. Those who were able fled across the Aegean to seek refuge in the port of Rhodes. The massacre was a significant event that led to the outbreak of the First Mithridatic War. After the massacre, the Roman Republic responded by declaring war on Pontus. The Roman general Lucius Cornelius Sulla was sent to lead the Roman forces in Asia. Sulla was able to defeat Mithridate's army in several battles, but was unable to capture the king himself. Mithridates was able to regroup and continue fighting, but eventually he was forced to flee to the kingdom of Armenia. The Roman Senate then appointed Lucius Licinius Murina as the new governor of Asia. He was able to defeat Mithridates and forced him to sign a peace treaty. 
However, the treaty was not respected by both parts, and the Second and Third Mithridatic Wars began. Eventually Mithridates was defeated by Pompey the Great and forced to flee to the Bosporan Kingdom, where he died. The Mithridatic Wars had a significant impact on the Roman Republic, causing political upheaval in Rome and leading to the rise of powerful military leaders such as Sulla and Pompey. The wars also resulted in the annexation of Pontus as a Roman province and established Roman control over much of Asia Minor. The rebellion in Asia, which came to be known as the Asiatic Vespers, would prove to be one of the most brutal and costly conflicts in Roman history. It would be years before peace was restored and many lives would be lost on both sides. But in the end, Rome's power would be proven once more, and the rebellion would be quashed. It was a tragic and sobering reminder of the cost of empire.